Zechariah chapter 6, verse 9. And and this is one of those sections that I was uh, warning you about, encourage you to to read about, uh, that, that it can take you to many, many different parts of the Bible because this is one of those prophecies in the scriptures that is extremely important in determining who the Messiah was. You see, for the Jewish mind, they were looking forward to uh, the Messiah. And one of the requirements of the Messiah was that he held these two offices. And we read this in Zechariah uh, chapter 6, verse 9. And the great thing about Zechariah, it's the longest of the minor prophets, so it's easier to find than the others that you kind of just turn a page and you've already missed it, you know. Uh, Zechariah is a little bit bigger, so it's taking us a little bit more time uh, to go through. In fact, tonight we're going to see two very important uh, prophecies in the book of Zechariah. And, and I'm, I'm speaking longer so that you can find it, you know, because, you know, sometimes it's hard for, to find these, you know, uh, certain parts in the scriptures, unless you have, a, you know, your phone or your tablet and you can just uh, type it in. Uh, but Zechariah chapter 6, verse 9, it says this, And the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Take an offering from the exile, from Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, and you come the same day and come into the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah, where they have come from Babylon, and take silver and gold and Make an ornate crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And you will say to him, thus says Yahweh of hosts, behold, a man whose name is Branch, and he will branch out from where he is, and, and he will build the temple of Yahweh. Indeed, it is he who will build the temple of Yahweh, and he who will bear the splendor and sit and rule on his throne. And thus he will be a priest on his throne. The council of peace will be between the two offices. And so, Father, tonight as we approach uh, this most holy of the scriptures, and and thank God that, you know, all the scriptures are important, all the scriptures are are your uh, inspired word, uh, your word to us, your love letter to us. But this section here is, is so important. It's integral to us understanding uh, who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and whom the, the Jewish people were looking forward to seeing. This joining of these two offices that had always been separate. So, Lord, we thank you so much for the revealing power of your word that we get a glimpse tonight into this amazing prophecy, Lord. And so, Lord, I ask that you open up our minds, our hearts, that you would give us that wisdom that we need, especially as we read these hard sections of the scriptures that, that maybe sometimes we just skim through or, or don't fully understand. And, Lord, we ask that you would help us to do that tonight. Lord, we love you. I thank you so much for these, my friends and my family that are gathered here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, we, we ended with this section last week, and, and one of the, the things you see here, and you really have to picture this in your mind, 
because what is happening here is these, these elders, these leaders of the nation of Israel, the, this remnant, if you will, this very small number of people these in the thousands now that have returned to uh, Jerusalem from Babylon, having been there for 70 uh, years, they have now established the temple. They, they've rebuilt the temple, and now the office of high priest has to be reestablished. Uh, not, not only the, the garments, but the ephod that we saw uh, last week, this breastplate that was put upon Joshua's very breast, and then that turban that was put on his head, and then that nameplate that was put uh, in front of the turban that, that literally hung on the turban, holy unto uh, the Lord, right? And now tonight, he's given a crown. And, and for many of us, we, I mean, we can really overlook this. But this is the first time in the history of the Jewish religion where there now is a priest who is being given a crown. Because who should normally get the crown? You guys know that. The king. The king should get the crown. The, the person from the line of David should get the crown. And remember, during this time after what is called the, the post-exilic time period, Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, there is no more kings. There's only governors sitting on the throne. When they came back from Babylon, there is no more king in the land, okay? Until Jesus Christ sits on the throne, the Messiah comes and sits on the throne in Jerusalem. So, so now, the, this understanding, this symbolism that's happening, where there's this joining of these two offices, and the symbolism isn't for Joshua. The symbolism is looking forward to the Messiah who's going to completely fulfill this. Uh, look at what it says there in verse 12. And then you will say to him, thus says Yahweh of hosts. And remember, we've been seeing this word Yahweh over and over and over again. And we've been using the, the legacy standard Bible just for the minor prophets, just from, uh, uh, you know, the, the book of Jonah, Hosea, all the way up to the book of Malachi. Uh, and, and the reason why we're doing it is because the legacy standard Bible actually translate uh, the word uh, Yahweh and actually physically writes it out rather than saying, you know, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is in most of the translation. So Yahweh of hosts means the one who is in charge of all the angelic hosts, uh, the one who is in charge of every single army in uh, heaven. It says here, behold, a man whose name is Branch, and he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of Yahweh. I thought the temple was just rebuilt. In fact, they had a temple, a physical temple right there. And the understanding is there's going to be a greater temple. There's going to be one who comes that literally embodies a God here on earth. The one who is Emmanuel, verse 13. Indeed, it is he who will build the temple of Yahweh and he who will bear the splendor and sit and rule on his Throne. And we, we all understand that part. We all, we all understand that Jesus is the king, right? Descended from the line of David has to fulfill that role in terms of not only his genealogy, but also his very bearing being the king of kings and the 
Lord of Lords. Okay, we all understand that. But then what does it say at the end of this verse? He will be a priest on his throne. Wow. I mean, and for the Jewish mind, this is un these two offices had always been separate. You know, the, the kings had to come from the line of Judah through David. They had to, right? Every single king had to be able to trace their lineage to a David if they lived in Judah, if they reigned in Jerusalem. They had to trace their lineage back to David. But then the priests, they came from a different tribe. They, they came from a, a different lineage. They had to trace their heritage back to Levi through Aaron. And they had to all be descended from Levi and Aaron and be able to trace their lineage. In fact, if you read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, all the priests that are there, they had to prove that they were from the line of Aaron just to be a priest. And so now there's this prophecy that is taking place and this blows us away. If you, I mean, really understand this, and, and I, I, I'm so glad that you're here tonight to be able to, to see this, but now there's going to be a priest that is sitting on a throne. Wow. And he's going to be the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who is coming as God incarnate, and this is just as important, the last phrase, and the council of peace will be between the two offices. Have you ever, you know, and, and it happens all the time, you know, whether it's uh, county government or, or, or city government or even national government, what happens to, you know, two people that are in two different offices? They're trying to each get something, you know, passed or whatever. What happens? They're always butting heads. The same thing in, you know, religion and and the, the political office, the king and the, the priestly office, they, they would at times butt heads, right? The king would want to do something, and the priest would have to warn him about that. In fact, there was a guy by the name of Uzziah that tried to become a priest. And, and, and he was a king. He was a very, very good king, in fact. Let, let me just read a, a small portion of this, and you can read, his whole story in Second Chronicles chapter 26. In fact, he was one of those kings that caused revival to take place in the, the city of Jerusalem, in the nation of Judah. He, he, he brought this revival that took place in the land. He rebuilt the walls. He rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. It, a lot of good things came from Uzziah's reign. But then something happens toward the end. And in Second Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16, Look what it says. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. This amazing king, this good king, this godly king who loved the Lord with all of his heart and now toward the end of his career, toward the end of his life, he now looks at himself and says, look at all the great things that I just did. As we can do also, we're not pointing any fingers because we see ourselves in the mirror and know that we can be in exactly the same boat as Uzziah. But look at what he wanted to do. He didn't want to just stay king. He acted corruptly. He was unfaithful to Yahweh, his God, and he entered the temple of Yahweh to burn incense on the altar of incense. And for us, 
we may not think anything of this, but for, you know, not only the scriptures, but also for the Jewish mindset, this was 100% wrong. Because a king would never go into the temple, the holy place, and try and do a sacrifice or try and do the incense or try to do anything in terms of the priestly office. They were always separate. They had to be, by definition. Look, look at what happens. And this is one of those amazing stories that not only affected the nation, but also points to the power of the Messiah now being able to join these two offices in one. Look at what it says in verse 17 of Second Chronicles 26. Then Azariah the priest entered after him and with him 80 priests of Yahweh, men of valor. These were priests, but they were wimpy priests. These were butchers. These were men that their whole career they had sacrificed and butchered animals. These were strong men of valor. They go in and they're, they love their king. Azariah loves his king, but he has to stand up to the wrong that his king is doing. Look at what it says in verse 18. And they stood against Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to Yahweh, but for the priest. This is our job. You're an amazing king. You're supposed to be a king. Be a king, not a priest. They go up to him, these 80 men. And they said, the sons of Aaron who are set apart as holy to burn incense, get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from Yahweh God. Verse 19. But Uzziah with a censer in his hand for burning incense was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priests, the leprosy broke out on his forehead. Right there. But by the way, who can see it? Everybody else who can't see it. It's right there. He can't see it. Uzziah can't see it. It's right there in the middle of his forehead. All these priests see the leprosy break out right there. And they're watching the, the judgment of God coming upon their beloved king. The king who they love, by the way. And, and these 80 men of valor, Azariah being the chief priest at this time, the, the high priest at this time, it says there before the priests in the house of Yahweh beside the altar of incense, and Azariah the chief priest, and all the pre priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead, and they hurried him out of there, and he himself also hastened to get out because Yahweh had smitten him. By the way, one of the consequences of being a leper was you couldn't go to the temple. He's now unclean. Look at what it says there in verse 21. And you, again, you can read the whole story in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 26. Uh, but we'll end it right here in verse 21. So King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. Leprosy being the symbol for sin in the Bible. The leprosy being a, an uncurable disease of the day. Once you had it, you couldn't be cured unless a miracle happened. 
There was nothing to be able to cure it. That this disease that literally would cause you to lose the sensation in your outer extremity so much so that that people would even, you know, burn themselves, lose their, you know, fingers and and ears and toes and, and those kind of things, their nose and different extremities that would happen because of this disease that would kill the nerves from the outside in. So, so much so that they would actually put their hand on a, a fire and not know that they had put their hand on the fire. And, and so this leprous king now sitting on this, you know, um, uh, a puppet throne, if you will. What does it say? For he has been cut off from the house of Yahweh, and Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. You see, from the very beginning of the temple, that there had been a separation of these two offices. A king couldn't become a priest, and a priest couldn't become a king. And now there's going to be one who will the Messiah, the only one, by the way, that can. And, and for the Jewish mind, especially when you go to the New Testament, you read John the Baptist, and they ask him, are you the Messiah? You know why they asked him that? Because he was a cousin to, remember, Jesus. Mar Mary was descended from the line of who? David, right? But she was a cousin with Elizabeth, who descended from the line of Levi or Aaron, right? Remember, her husband was a priest, a high priest. In fact, John the Baptist being a son of the high priest and also his mom being descended from the line of David to at least half from the line of David. People are asking, are, are you the Messiah? He fit the qualifications, or at least one of the qualifications. And, and then when Jesus comes and not only proclaims who he is, people are doubting it because he didn't come from the line of Aaron. Unless you look at the book of Hebrews. And, and this is one of those books in the Bible, by the way, and, and thank God, Pastor, he, he just finished the, the book of Romans uh, just in, in, in the, the month of May. And, and, and the book of Romans is one of those amazing theological books that speaks to the Gentile's heart, right? It, it proves that there is a God, right? That we're all in need of a Savior. The book of Hebrews is the other huge theological book in the Bible, but it starts with the word God, automatically assuming that you know God. In fact, the book of Hebrews is to the religious mind. Look at what Hebrews says in verse, chapter 6. Look at what it says in chapter 6, verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and confirmed and one which enters within the veil. Can you know for sure that your hope is sure? And who's the one that gives you a sure hope? Look at what it says in verse 20. Where a forerunner has entered for us, Jesus, having become a high priest forever according to the order of, and there's that big word, Melchizedek. Now, if you read chapter 4, chapter 6 in the book of Hebrews, 
Uh, it really goes into a lot of detail, much more than we can do in, in you know tonight. But but the understanding is there's this higher office of high priest that doesn't come from the line of Aaron. It comes from a higher order. Someone that Abraham sacrificed to. Some, someone that Abraham gave tithes to. When Levi, his great-grandson, was still in his loins and gave also, you know, through, you know, Abraham. Who is this higher order of priests? A guy by the name of Melchizedek. And by the way, if you read the rest of it, Melchizedek means king of righteousness. You know, that this is a, a Christophany, if you will, that, that Abraham is tithing to his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson who just happens to be standing there, a person without genealogy, a person without, you know, any, any form of, of parents or anything like that, and is now standing there accepting the tithe of his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. And of course, there's a lot of greats in between, okay, so don't count me on the greats, you know. But, but you understand what is happening there is a, 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 an office called the high priest that comes from a higher order and also the kingship that comes from the line of David and Jesus fits both perfectly. The, this joining of these two offices for the first time in history, now in perfect harmony, in perfect peace, in one the Messiah. He had to fulfill both roles. And the understanding is, as we walk through this prophecy, this is what the Jews were meticulously looking for. This was the criteria for being the Messiah. He had to fulfill both roles of the king and the high priest. Look at what it says there, going back to Zechariah Chapter 6, verse 14. Now the crown will become a memorial in the temple of Yahweh to Helaman, and Tobijah, and Jediah, and Hin, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off will come and build the temple of Yahweh. Then you will know that Yahweh of hosts has sent me to you. And it will happen if you utterly listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, that this crown that had been symbolically put in on the high priest Joshua's head is now in this temple as a memorial looking forward to what the Messiah is going to do, joining the two offices in one. And this is absolutely mind-boggling, you know, first of all to us, but also to the Jews at this time. How can this be? And within 550 years, it's going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And, 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 you know, as we walk through these prophecies, this is so important in terms of who Jesus is. Can Jesus, with, without a, a shadow of a doubt, be proven to be the Messiah from the prophecies in the Scriptures? And by the way, when we get to the book of Matthew, you know, that theme of being fulfilled, he fulfills every single one of the Old Testament prophecies. He has to. And Matthew brings it out in such great detail that he fulfills every single one of the Old Testament prophets, including this one here, of the joining of the king and the priest uh, together. 
chapter 7, it continues on there in Zechariah. Now it happened that in the fourth year of King Darius, the word of Yahweh came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Cheslev. And remember when we started the book of, of Haggai, uh, not only can we know for sure exactly, exact dates, exact days, you know, exact months, exact years, because in, in not only Haggai, but also in Zechariah, we, we have the exact times of the kings to the day, by the way. To the very day. And, and so this one here, and if you look it up in, you know, and of course, you know, commentaries are, are great for this. You can actually look this up. But on December 7th, 518 BC, this was the time to the day. The accuracy of scripture. You know, Darius was a real king. Zechariah was a real person who writes this book in this time, the fourth year of King Darius. By, by the way, King Darius was the same guy that put Daniel into the lion's den. Remember that? This is the same time period. A, 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 you know, the, the same a contemporary, if you will, of Daniel. Daniel's, of course, is in Babylon, and Zechariah is in Jerusalem, some 900 miles apart. But yet is God working in both places in amazing ways. Look at what it says there, verse 2, in the town of Bethel. Uh, sent Sherezer and uh, this word that I can't pronounce, and their men to entreat the favor of Yahweh, speaking to the priest. Bethel means, and you remember this, we've been talking about this word Beth. Whenever you see Beth in the Bible, it means house. Okay, so like if you see Bethlehem, that means house of bread, okay, uh, where Jesus was born. Bethel means house of God. El means just like a, a shortened form uh, of God, okay? So these were the, this was the town where the priests would live uh, who belonged to the house of Yahweh of hosts and to the prophets saying, shall I weep in the fifth month and abstain as I have done these many years? Then the word of Yahweh of hosts came to me saying, speak to all the people of the land and to the priests saying, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and the seventh months, these 70 years, what is it actually for me that you uh, fasted. You see, for 70 years, the people had been without a temple. And what they did in their times when they were supposed to be feasting, when they were supposed to be, you know, having these celebrations, these, whether it was the fall feast or whether it was the Passover or whether it was certain times of the year, instead of celebrating, they would mourn during their time in captivity. For 70 years, they were without a temple. They, they didn't have a place to worship. They, they didn't have a place to go to, uh, to worship the Lord, because that, that's where you go is the temple. And so during these fifth and the seventh month, they would mourn for 70 years. And now they're back in the land, the temple's rebuilt, and now they ask this question, should we continue to mourn? Look at what Zechariah says. And when you eat and when you drink, are you not eating for yourselves and are you not drinking for yourselves? You see, what they had done in their fastings, in their mourning, they had done it to look pious. They had done it in such a way where people would see their, oh, he must be really religious. He must be really holy because look at his gaunt face. He's been fasting, right? Do you know what? fasting is that 
you know, if it's not done for the Lord, you know what it's called? A diet. That's exactly what it is. You're just starving yourself. It means nothing. You see, Jesus in the New Testament, when, when he, and he addressed this too, by the way, the same thing that Zechariah is addressing. When, when you fast and when you pray, you know, don't show it on your outward features. D dress up, take a bath, you know, look like you're, you're, you know, going about your business. But in your closet or in your time of being alone, that's when you cry out to God. It's not something that should be flaunted. It's something that should be between you and God. Because whether you're asking the Lord for something or, or going through this time of purification for yourself or, or just trying to get out the sin in your life, whatever it may be that you fast for, it, it's something between you and God. That's what it's for. It's not just something to, you know, and, and unfortunately many people do it, they, you know, they brag about it. You know, I've been fasting for this amount of time. And it's something they do to look better or holier than thou, if you will. So Zechariah is addressing this. Verse 7, are not these the words which Yahweh called out by the hand of the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and it eased along with its cities around it and the Negev and the Shephelah were inhabited? Verse 8. And the word of Yahweh came to Zechariah, saying, Thus has Yahweh of hosts said, Judge with true justice, and show loving kindness and compassion each to his brother. And do not oppress the widow or the orphan, the sojourner or the afflicted, and do not despise evil in your hearts against one another. You see, whenever there's a change in your heart, there should be a change in your actions as well. Because it's easy to say, I, I'm fasting, I, I, you know, I go to church, I, I do all these things. But then go and do whatever you want. And, and they were literally doing this, you know, whether it was the, the priest fleecing uh, the flock or, or fleecing the people, exorbitantly, you know, charging the people for what they were doing. Growing wealthy themselves or, or, or just acting religious on the outward and then inwardly they were doing whatever they wanted to in terms of sin. You see, uh, fasting, uh, going to church, serving the Lord should present in such a way where they know your fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, gentleness, self-control, right? Those nine things that are listed in, in uh, the book of Galatians there. Continues on, excuse me, the book of Philippians, sorry about that. Verse 11, but they refused and give heed and turned a stubborn shoulder and dulled their ears from hearing. And they made their hearts diamond hard so that they could not hear the law and the words which Yahweh of hosts had sent by his spirit, by the hand of the former prophets. Therefore, great wrath came upon or from uh, Yahweh of hosts. This is why you were in bondage in the first place. Why are you going back to it? This is the reason why uh, the Lord sent you into captivity for 70 years in Babylon. Why are you going back to the same things that you were doing before? 
And, and by the way, we're really good at that, right? You know, that, you know, God catches us, you know, if you will, and, and he judges us. And, and, and for a time we repent, and then what do we do? We forget. We go back to our old ways, right? We forget. Verse 11, but they refused to give heed and turned a stubborn shoulder and dulled their ears from hearing. The very, the very definition of the Jews that God says over and over again that they, they were known for their, their hard heart and their stiff neck. A stiff-necked people and a hard-hearted uh, people. Verse 12, and they made their heart diamond hard so that they could not hear the law and the words which Yahweh of hosts had sent by his spirit by the hand of the former prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from Yahweh of hosts. How hard is a diamond, by the way? The hardest known substance, right? You know, that, that's why, you, you know, it's, it's given to someone in, in terms of, you know, forever. I, I've, I've dedicated myself to you. You know, that, that ring that you give to your spouse, you know, that, that promise that you give. But what happens when a, a, it, something is, is diamond hard? Can you scratch the surface? That, that's one of the qualifications to know if it's a diamond or not, right? You, you know, you, you try to scratch it, you can't. That determines if it's real or not, right? And, and so the understanding is there, their hearts are diamond hard. They're, they're so hard, they won't even submit to the will of God. They won't listen to him anymore. But by the way, if you read the book of Jeremiah, it says the word of God is like a hammer. that smashes even the hardest of substances, you know, the hardest of hearts. Beautiful picture, by the way. And it happened that just as he called, they would not listen. So they called and I would not listen, says Yahweh of hosts. You may ask yourself, you know, and I've had to ask myself this this very week, even as we're preparing for this, Lord, is there anything that's that's between us? Because all of us need to ask this question. Right? Is there is there anything separating me from you? Is my my heart hard? Do I do I need a, a soft heart or a softer heart? Because what is keeping us from the Lord? You know, the, our, our prayers may be bouncing off the ceiling, if you will, right? We need to examine ourselves. Verse 14, but I scattered them with a storm wind among all the nations whom they have not known. This is why uh, they were put into bondage in the first place. Thus the land is desolated behind them so that no one was passing through and returning for they made the pleasant land uh, desolate. God wants true repentance, not lip service. Not not religiosity, not not just the you know the things we do out of tradition. He wants a changed heart. Chapter eight, verse one. And the word of Yahweh of hosts came to me, saying, "Thus says Yahweh of hosts: I am jealous with a great jealousy for Zion, and with great wrath I am jealous for her." God is known as a what? A jealous God. And can God sin when he is jealous? No. Unfortunately, we misdefine jealousy, right? Normally, when we think of jealousy, we, we, we confuse it with the word envy. And envy definitely is a sin, okay? 
Thou shalt not envy the very last of the, you know, the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not envy your neighbor's stuff. Thou shalt not envy your neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not envy anything that's your neighbor's or anything that's anybody else. That is a sin God never envies. You know why? He can't envy. You know why? Because he owns everything already. And by definition, envy is saying, I want someone else's things. It's, you know, the, 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 the saying, unfortunately, that people say, you know, and I'm totally against it, you know, keeping up with the, yeah, no, don't say that, okay? Don't ever do, don't ever do that, okay? That is not a good thing to look up to, okay? Don't, don't keep up with those people, okay? It, but, but it's the, you know, the neighbor down the street got a boat, so I got to get a boat. The neighbor down the street got something, so I got to get something, right? Or my, my friend got this, and I, so I got to do it, right? It, it's that envy, that commercialism, if you will, the, the, the ads that bombard us daily, second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour, wanting you to get something because everybody else has it and you don't. The newest gadget, right? That's envy. Okay, and God tells us not to envy. Jealousy is different. Jealousy is actually, in its true place, righteous. Because jealousy is something that you already have, and it has left. It is gone. It is taken by someone else. When, Jesus, or when God is talking about jealous for the nation of Israel, they had turned from God and he is jealous because their hearts are going after other God's idols. And it's the same thing with us, by the way. We're, we're, we're the bride of Christ. We're the church. We belong to whom? God, right? It, it, or even in a marriage, even, even in a you know, a, 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 a marriage between a, a man and a wife, right? You know, that, that whole idea, if, if someone goes out of that marriage in an unfaithful way, uh, jealousy is righteous in that situation. Why? Because you want your spouse back, whichever side it may be on. You, you want your spouse to come back. You're, you're jealous for that. You, you want the marriage to be restored, right? You can read the book of Hosea about that. So God, in three times in this one verse, in verse 2, says this word jealousy over and over and over again. He, he's jealous for the nation of Israel. He wants them to be close to them. And by the way, jealousy always wants the best for the other person. Always. Envy always wants the best for us. Okay, that, that's the difference. Okay, jealousy always wants the best for the other person. That's how you can tell the difference. Verse 3, uh, 4, and 5, and uh, I, I love this section. Thus says Yahweh, I will return to Zion, who will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. Well, a, a place where truth is told. And by the way, the Israelites were known for their deception. The opposite of this. Remember Jacob? Jacob was called a uh, heel grabber or, you know, deceiver. He, he was known for his deceit. And, and when God changed Jacob's name into Israel, he's given a new name on purpose. 
Okay, and when, 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 when Jesus went and discovered his disciples or searched out his disciples, there was a guy by the name of Nathaniel, remember? A, a, a person without deceit a, among all these deceivers, among all these Israelites who are known and have the ability to get the upper hand. If you've ever, you know, bargained with a Jew, you know, bargained with an Israelite, you know, right? They, they seem to be able to, and, and it's the blessing of God, by the way, to be able to get the upper hand in a business deal, right? And, and so the understanding here is that this city that could be known for deceit is now this city of truth. Jerusalem, the city of truth, the mountain of Yahweh of hosts, will be called the, what do those two words say? Holy mountain. Zion, the city of peace. The place where people would look to as the example for righteousness, for truth. These people are known for their truth. That's what, you know, the whole idea of this verse is. And thus says that Yahweh of hosts, old men and old women, will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand because of age, and the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its streets. What does this mean if there's old people and young people playing? They're safe. They're, they're, they're at peace. That's what it means. Because in a time of war, which Jerusalem had been for literally decades, if not centuries, had been a place where, you know, armies had surrounded them. And what happens when an army's surrounding you? <clears throat> Is it safe to go out and play? No. And same thing with the old people as well. You know, now there's a time of peace. And they're able to go out into the streets in a, a peaceful way. There are signs of peace for Jerusalem. The people had disobeyed and not sought God. So war came. The jealousy of God always wants the best for his people. Does God want peace for Jerusalem? And should we as well? In fact, that's what we're supposed to pray for, right? That's what the Bible says. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, right? Verse 6 here. Thus says Yahweh of hosts. If it is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, it will also be too difficult in my sight, declares Yahweh of hosts. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Behold, I am going to save my people from the land where the sun rises and from the land where the sun sets, and I will bring them back, and they will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. God's going to bring his people back from the ends of the earth as far as the east and as far as the west, right? Rising of the sun, setting of the sun, okay? He's going to bring his people back to where? Jerusalem, right? Isn't that amazing? And, and by the way, you know, May 14, 1948, you know, this amazing thing happens. We'll see this later on in the book of Zechariah as well, this foretelling of what's going to happen. A, a nation is born in a single day. You know, this recognition, you know, by other nations that this is the nation of Israel and the Israelites are supposed to stay there, that this is their land. Continues on there in verses uh, uh, nine. We'll, we'll read all the way to 13 here and I'll, we'll go back and explain it. But in verse nine to 13, it says this, thus says Yahweh of hosts, 
let your hands be strong. You are listening in these days to these words from the mouth of the prophets, those who spoke in the day that the foundation of the house of Yahweh of hosts was laid to the end that the temple might be built. For before those days, there was no wage for man and, and, or any wage for animal. And for him who went out or came in, there was no peace because of the adversary. And I set all man one against another. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in former days, declares Yahweh of hosts. For there will be peace for the seed. The vine will yield its fruit. The land will yield its produce. And the heaven will give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to inherit all these things. And it will be that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and O, o house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. Remember how many people came out of Egypt? They were in the millions. I mean, it, literally the millions. You know, most estimates say that between uh, three and four million Jews came out of Egypt when they, when they came out in the Exodus. Do you know how many people came back during the time of Babylon? When, when they came back from Babylon? They're in the thousands now. You read the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, it's only thousands. Nothing more than a couple of thousand that come back to the land. They are truly a remnant, okay? They're, they're a small nation that has come back to the land of Jerusalem. And what does God say about this remnant? This small group of people. They're going to be a blessing. And God's going to protect. And God's going to be the one that watches them. The Yahweh of hosts, the one who is in charge of all the armies of heaven is going to protect them. We, we get the privilege of taking communion tonight. Every first Wednesday, every first Sunday, we, we take communion. And the privilege is we hand out, and I'll ask the, the guys to come forward to hand out the elements. The understanding is here, we, we get the blessing of being called children of God, even if you don't even have a single drop of Jewish blood, by the way. Isn't that amazing? You are grafted into the nation of God or the children of God. Not, not because of who we are, but because of Jesus Christ. And so when we come to communion, you don't have to be a member of this church. You, I mean, this may be your first time coming to the church. I don't, I don't know. The only requirement is, do you know Jesus Christ personally? Because otherwise, this means nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's just a cracker and a little bit of grape juice. That's it. It means nothing. Communion is between us and God because I am a child of God. I, I get to have fellowship with God. I, I get to commune with the one who died for me. And so the privileges tonight, as the men pass out the elements, 
And I'm going to read a, a, a couple of verses here, just kind of set the stage. But as you're holding those elements in your hand, I, 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 I really pray that you would hold them and, and really contemplate what this means, okay? We're going to take it corporately. We're going to take it all together uh, at the end here. But the understanding is you're holding these elements. Savor your relationship with Jesus Christ. Is there anything between you and me, Lord? Is there anything that may be hindering me right now? And so as the men uh, pass out the elements, as the, the ladies sing, uh, just uh, uh, meditate upon the elements today. Is that 